I thirst for you, for my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. So today we're starting a brand new series called Come to Worship, and I want to show you where this comes from. It comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and help me out, we have what? Come to worship him. We have what? Come to worship him. Now, it's interesting that the wise men, when they came, they weren't trying to get anything from Jesus. They were going to offer something to him. They were going to offer worship to him. And see, what I think is too often we get caught up in religion. We get caught up in if we do the right thing, then God is obligated to answer us. If we... um if, if we, it's kind of like people treat him like a genie, you know, genie in the, in the bottle and you rub on the lamp and the genie pops out and says, your wish is my command. Or people think that God is kind of like a cosmic Coke machine where you put in your coin, you push the button. If you say the right prayer, if you do the right, you know, whatever genuflecting Hail Marys, if you do all of that stuff, if you have a daily devotional and then you post it on Instagram right next to your Bible and your coffee cup so everybody can see how spiritual you are. If, if you are nice to people, if you don't flip anybody off when you're driving down the road, then God is obligated to do what we ask him, right? Wrong. (laughs) God does not exist for you. If you read the scripture, you realize that you exist for God. He created you with a purpose. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to honor him. He wants you to tell other people about him. And and so what we're going to do over these next four weeks is I I want you to learn to be a better worshiper, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day. And so we're going to look at four different postures of worship. Today, we're going to talk about lifting hands. Next week, we're going to talk about bringing gifts. The week after that, we're going to talk about pouring out our hearts. Then week four, we're going to talk about bowing our knees as we physically kneel before God. So today is hand lifting, and I can't do a hand lifting sermon without showing you, and some of you seen it, this is Tim Hawkins on lifting hands in church. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. <laughs> totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us. But don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're my church, music is rocking, start slow. Hands in the pockets, a little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. 
and you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. You're set. All right. So, um... Some of you have seen that. I've seen a lot of these. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've seen dueling light bulbs in our church, but I've seen a lot of carry the TV. You know, I've seen some wing flapping. Um, rarely do I see clapping on beat, but that's okay. That's okay. We, we talk about we're, we're musically challenged. That's all right. But see what, what happens sometimes is we, we get caught up in what other people are doing in worship and we might see them. It may, may make us feel uncomfortable. And my word to you is quit looking at them. Look at God. Okay. But, but, you know, sometimes people, you know, if you get that wash the window going on, sometimes people start looking at that and, and it may feel a little uncomfortable for you. It's kind of like, you know, when somebody's making out, you're like, Ooh, I don't want to see that stuff, you know? So, so quit looking at other people, right? Let's look at God because worship is about God. Yes, we come together and it's more fun when we have a big crowd, but we're supposed to worship God. So quit looking at other people. Now, no matter where you are on the hand lifting scale, though, I want you to realize this. The scripture very clearly teaches that we're supposed to raise our hands and worship. Real clear, and I'm going to show you several scriptures today. And, and that my question to you is, why does God ask us to raise our hands, and what does that accomplish? Well, let's look in the scripture and find out. In Psalm 63, David was in the wilderness. It was a horrible time in his life, and I want you to see what he says to God in this psalm. Verses 1 through 4. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, help me out, I will... I will... Lift up my hands. Thank you. Some of you are catching on that we just keep doing it. So the, the, the service gets longer, the less you participate. <laughs> You're going to do what? Oh, yeah. Look at you go. So a lot of you can probably identify with David when he's talking here because he's in a desolate place. He's, he's scared. He's lonely. He feels rejected. David's probably thinking like many of you are thinking right now. I never thought my life would end up where I am today. I didn't think it would be like this. We're heading into the holidays, and the holidays are supposed to be a happy time, but it's not a happy time for you. And have you ever noticed that Christmas is a magnifier? If if life is going good, then Christmas is great. If life is going bad, what does Christmas do? It magnifies the fact that, that your life isn't what you want it to be. So my question is, how can we how can we kind of iron out those highs and lows of life is great, life is low? The, the answer is to do the same thing that the wise men did, and that's to seek God. Come to worship. 
Come to worship when, when times are good. Come to worship when times are bad. Come to worship when times are mediocre. Is that what people tend to do? No. We tend to forget God until something catastrophic happens and we have no other place to go. God wants us to learn to worship him in good and in bad. So David is saying to this, he's saying to God, nothing else is satisfying in life. I thirst for you. And, and he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. And just by the way, in order to see God in the sanctuary, don't you have to be in the sanctuary? I mean, does, doesn't that go without saying I have beheld you in the sanctuary? You got to be in the sanctuary, in the place of worship in order to see God during worship, during corporate worship. He said, I've beheld your power and glory. And then he says, because your love is better than life. And I want you to think on those words. He's saying the love of a heavenly father is better than breathing. Holy, are you serious? Why would that be? It's because the love of God never fails. The love of God never runs out. The love of God never gives up on us. It's eternal. That's why he can say your love is better than life. And he says, because it is, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to honor you. In verse four, he says, I will praise you as long as I live. Now, remember, he's in a bad place. He's not in a good place. He's not saying, God, thank you that my life is so great. He's in a horrible place. And he's saying, God, I thank you that you are good, even though my life isn't. You see the difference? We need to learn to praise God in good and in bad. And then he says, in your name, what will I do? Everybody help me out. In your name, I will Lift up my hands. It's an act of worship. Now, over the last few weeks, we've had several people pray to receive Christ. And, and what we talk about here, the scripture is very clear. It says that, that you're not in the family of God unless you ask God to forgive your sins and lead your life. And so people have come up to me and they've said, I want to pray. We've had several different situations where people have prayed to receive Christ. And so what the scripture says about that, here it is in Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So that's believing, asking him to be the boss. Lord means he's in charge. If you confess Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved forever. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And then verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So these people cried out to God. They asked him to forgive their sins and to lead their lives. And the Bible says that, that, that all of heaven rejoices when one person turns to God. When a lost person is found, there's a party in heaven. And the Bible says that, that nobody, nobody who's ever come to Christ earns it. You can't be good enough. In fact, look at what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God saved you by his grace when you did what? Believed. Not when you were religious. Not when you said enough right words. Not when you went to church enough. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You and I can't take credit for being in the kingdom of God. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So religion doesn't get you to heaven. None of us can boast about grace. Now, remembering what it was, because Ephesians says that, that we were dead in trespasses and sin. And a dead person doesn't need perfume. A dead person needs to be brought back to life. The Bible says you were dead in your spiritual life, in your trespasses and sins, and God made you alive when you believed. You need a resurrection. And when you realize that there's nothing you can do, you can't be good enough, and you accept what Jesus has done, that's like a cool drink of water to somebody who grew up in a religious church. 
Women couldn't wear pants in my church. You had to wear dresses because it wasn't, wasn't uh, feminine enough to wear pants. And I remember we had, we had church meetings where pantsuits, you remember pantsuits came out? If you don't know what that is, just look at Hillary. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we had a, we had a, we had a discussion in, in a church meeting whether pantsuits were from hell or not. They didn't say the words hell, but of the devil. And as a kid, I'm like, pantsuits are from hell, mama. You can't wear those. It's just dumb. When, when, you, when you realize what God has done for you, the natural response is gratitude in worship and in praise. And I want you to realize that when, when you worship... It's for us as believers, but when you worship in spirit and in truth, it impacts non-believers. When I graduated from college, I got to go to England and I got to travel around with this choir and we sang in castles, we sang at Oxford University, we sang in churches, all of these different places. It was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. We sang a couple of songs. One of them was based on Psalm 8 when it says, when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars that you have made, what is man that you should take thought of him? And it says, you have made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with majesty and glory. And we sang this song and, and we were all, you know, music majors. And so we sing in these hallelujahs and, and it's acapella and it's just reverberating through these castles. One of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. I get chill bumps, got chill bumps in the first service talking about it. And then we did this sign language song where we, we sang in this very room, there's quite enough love for one like me, for one like you, for all the world, because Jesus, Lord Jesus is in this very room. And we would finish and we, you know, the, the, we would be holding hands and, and nobody wanted to move because it was such a powerful moment. Well, there, there was a 19 year old girl that was, that was, um, English and, and she was part of our tour operating company and she was going around with us. And, and I would, I'm a dipstick, you know, I'm 22 years old. I didn't notice. And somebody in one of our sponsors goes, Hey, Doug, did you see the girl start crying? I'm like, no. And he said, you need to go talk to her about Jesus. And so I said, okay. And so I walked over and I said, Hey, um, I understand that you, you were very emotional during our singing time. Can you tell me what's going on? She said, I have never experienced that. What was that? And so I got to tell her about Jesus. She didn't pray to receive Christ right there, but I got to tell her about Jesus. And she said, she said, if that's, if that's Christianity, that's something I want. And I told that story in the first service. And then I told that two weeks ago, right down here at the front, in between the first and the late service, a young lady named Stephanie came forward. I didn't, I didn't give her name because I didn't want to embarrass her. And she was sitting about the fourth row back there. And, and so I said, there was this young lady that came up and she starts waving her hand. And I said, all right, Stephanie, is it okay if I tell everybody? She goes, yes. She came up and she said, I don't know what happened during worship, but I need Jesus. And so I told her how to come to Christ and we prayed to receive Christ right here. So after I told that story, she ran up here as soon as the early service was over today. And she goes, Hey, you know, that girl in England who didn't grow up in the church, who was, was an atheist and, and, and worship impacted her. She said, I was an atheist. I said, Holy cow. Can I tell the church that she goes, Oh yeah. And you, when we prayed right here, I said, you need to go home and you need to write down November 20th, 2015. She goes, and I said, what, what's significant about that day? She said, I'm 60 days sober today. And I said, praise God. I said, you need to write all this down. And she has started bringing people there every week. She's got new people coming. Your worship impacts even non-believers. 
And I remember I grew up in a church that wasn't a hand-raising church. And then I went to First Baptist Church and we still weren't a hand-raising church. And we argued over whether, you know, you should ever play guitars and drums in church. And we had all of those things. And so you can see I'm kind of a rebel. Uh, we're doing all those things I was told not to do when I grew up. Um, but I went to youth camp. When I first came here, I was a youth minister and I went to youth camp at Piney Woods Baptist Encampment. And I remember we, we watched this video on true worship, false God. And it talked about it. Actually, it was, it was the anthology of Michael Jackson when he went around the world and it showed these people falling down, prostrate before him, crying, trying to touch him, thinking his, and we're sitting there going, this is the dumbest thing we've ever seen. And at the end, these words come on the screen. It says true worship, false God. Yeah, and everybody went, oh my gosh. And then the guy who was leading worship, he was playing the piano, and he said, he said, a lot of you will worship a sports team. A lot of you will worship your bank account. You'll worship things, but you will not worship God. And so I was sitting down on the front, and you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to not do what the crowd does. And so he started playing this worship song, and everybody, my youth group, we're on the first and second row, and my youth group stands up, and they're worshiping, and I'm just kind of sitting there going, um... God, what do I need to know? And, and the songs play in and, and, you know, I just tend to, I tend to not try to get caught up in the crowd. I want to worship God the way I want to worship God. And so I'm sitting there and as God is my witness, I'd never done touchdown in worship. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I am on my feet, arms raised. I've never done this before in a, in a service eyes closed and I sing and I worship God and I never wanted that night to end. It was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever. And so what I want you to realize is God wants your heart in worship, whatever that takes. We try to sing music that has a beat. I tell people all the time, we're not having a funeral here because we serve a savior whose tomb is empty. So we ought to celebrate that. And when you fully experience and you remember what Jesus Christ did for you, gratitude and worship is going to be the natural expression of remembering that. In the New Testament, Paul was, was talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor and he was telling him about worship. Look at this verse. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Now, a lot of times in scripture when it says I want men, because of the culture, it said men when it meant everybody, not here. This verse means men. The next verse in scripture talks about women. This is men. Paul specifically calls out the men. He said, I want men lifting holy hands in prayer. Why? I think it's because men tend to be the last ones to do this. I don't know if it's because we're reserved, if it's not macho, if we think it's a chick thing. I don't know what it is. But really what I think, what I think Paul is saying here is it's time for the men to be leaders in worship. It's time for the men to take charge because if you want your children to worship, they need to see you worshiping God. If you want your wife to worship men, they need to see you worshiping God. Don't you ever let your wife or your children out worship you. The end of the message today, just warning you now. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. There's a song by Mercy Me, God With Us, that we're gonna play. And I'm going to ask you to sing at the top of your lungs, whether you're a Christ follower or not. Because you sing songs all the time you, you, don't, you don't believe. Shake it off. Shake it off. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Because the play is going to play, 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 play. I know way too much of that song. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. 
but I'm going to ask you to, to stand at the end and I'm going to ask you to sing. And, at, and when it's appropriate, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> I walked down there and I sang in the first service and, and I'm, I was getting into it. I'm worshiping. And I turned around at the end of the song and I don't know if it's everybody, but it's almost everybody. I lost it. I couldn't speak because I said that is what we ought to strive for every time we walk in these doors. So I got to move so you can do that. So why does God ask us to raise our hands in worship? Well, you've probably seen this Facebook post. It, it says that, that I don't care how big and bad and macho you are, men, when a two-year-old hands you an imaginary phone, you answer it, right? Hello, right? Well, I was thinking about this when, when my kids, even though my kids are older now, when my kids, if they ever reach out their arms to me, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap them up when they were children. You know, I rem- I've got a picture of every one of my kids asleep on my chest in the recliner, you know, but I remember when each of my kids was old enough to say, daddy, I picked them up and I never want to let them go. If you and I are sinful people and we know how to love our children being sinful. How much more does a perfect, holy God know how to wrap you in his arms when you reach up to him? So the first reason God wants us to worship is when our hands go up to him, his heart moves towards us. I always talk about James as the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James in the, in the New Testament because I want you to know, James was skeptical. He was a non-believer until Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then he became a follower of Jesus Christ. James says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. As you throw up your hands and you say, God, I need you. The heavenly father moves toward you. The slightest, the slightest movement on your part. And God's heart moves towards you. The second reason God wants us to raise our hands in worship is it's an offering of praise. Just like you give an offering of money, or at least some of you do. Some of you give an offering of money. This is an offering of praise. Look what it says in Psalm 141, 1 and 2. Oh Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you. And here it is. And my upraised hands as an evening offering. Your hands lifted to God are saying, God, I need you. Please accept my life. Whatever that means. Here I am. I'm offering my praise to you. Not because of how I feel, not because of what I see, but because of who you are. God, here is my offering to you. I'm lifting my hands. We lift our hands because when we lift our hands to God, his heart moves to us because it's an offering of praise. Number three, we're in a battle and we need God's help. Some of you right now, you're in the middle of a real battle and you do not know what you're going to do if God doesn't show up. And so when we lift our hands, we say, I'm declaring battle. And this comes from Exodus chapter 17. I love this story. The Amalekites were coming. They were going to fight against the Israelites. uh, Moses is still in charge. And he says to Joshua, go get some men. Tomorrow you're going to go to battle and I'm going to go on the top of the hill and I'm going to pray for you. Look what happens in Exodus 17. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. Hur is a dude, spelled H-U-R. Don't name your son that. Climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So when his arms were up, acknowledging that God... And in the Old Testament, a lot of times they they would say, the Lord is my banner. So when you went out to war, you're holding up a banner that says, we are God's army. 
So when he's holding up his hands, he's saying, God, you are my banner. And it talks about God being your rear guard. God, you are my banner. As long as his hands were up acknowledging the power of God, they were winning. As soon as his hands went down, they started losing. And some of you right now, you need to say, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of what anybody else says, I don't care what these people say. God, I'm in a battle and I need you and you are going ahead of me in this battle. And wherever you lead me, God, I'll follow. Now look what happens in verse 12. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. There are three particular men in this church that have held my arms up in battle and prayer repeatedly over the years. Joe Matson's one of them. John Colander's another. Jeff Gillis is another. When people could, when, when some people looked at me and they said, I don't believe what he's saying, they stood by me. When I get tired and, and, and I'm, I'm struggling in my faith, these men hold me up in prayer. They've done it repeatedly. And you need some people like that. And some of you are mad at churches because you've never had anybody like that. But the problem is yours, not the church, because you've never gotten involved in a small group. You've never asked anybody into your life. You're so private that, that nobody ever knows your problems and you're mad at God, you're mad at the church because nobody's involved. You need some people that when you cannot pray even, when you're doubting, they'll lift your hands up. That's why worship is so important. Because sometimes we come in here and we're like, I do not feel like worshiping and somebody next to you might be a very close friend and and they may say hey what's going on and they will lift you up in prayer they will hold you up in prayer that's an invaluable resource the reason satan wants to to get you out away from church is you'll never behold the power and glory of god in the sanctuary if you're not in the sanctuary you're also isolated and it's very easy to, to defeat you when you've got nobody holding your arms up in prayer. You need that. Now there's two other things. When throughout history, when, when people raise their hand, there's two other things that, that, that signals. One is it signals victory. I love to go see the Rangers, but honestly, this year I went to see the Rangers one time. They made like three errors in the field. They, they were horrible at the plate, and I just can't stand it. I can't spend money on stupid players. You play well. I don't mind if you lose. If you play well, I can't stand getting thrown out on the base pass. I'm going, how old are you? We got in trouble in Little League if we got the, you know. So anyway, so we only went one time this year. And then, of course, they started playing good ball. But by then, it was too late. I wasn't going to spend my money on them. But it, here's what I do. When we go to the game, sometimes we're at the top. It doesn't matter where we sit. I'm watching the game, and, and you can hear the sound of a wooden bat when somebody connects on a home run. And, and very, well, sometimes I'm wrong, but, but rarely am I wrong. Because what I'll do is when they hit the ball, I'm watching, and you hear the sound. But you can also tell the trajectory. So the second thing I do is I watch the fielders. So like you listen when you're there, they'll hit a ball and the whole crowd will go, Aah! and you look in, in the shortstop's going, I got it. You know? And I'm like, dude, it's stupid fans. Well, here's what I do. I don't say anything when they connect and I look at the outfielder and I watch wherever it's going. I watch the outfielder, dude, I'm up before the fireworks go off. I'm like, home run, baby. Signals victory, right? Am I sweating? Some of y'all are looking at me funny. 
Some of you are more into worshiping your team than you are in worshiping your Savior. I mean, we'll get after it for a team. Maybe not Dallas. I'm actually rooting for the number one draft pick. I'm just tank the rest of the season. Let's just see how high we can get in the draft. But anyway, and, and I'm actually hoping that one of y'all can play quarterback for Baylor. Because, anyway, yeah, they need it. We, we raise our arms to signal victory, but there's a second reason throughout history that we raise our arms. Someone walks up to you and, and they stick a gun at you and you raise your hands. What does that mean? I surrender. Right? Here's the incredible thing. When you raise your hands before God, it signifies victory and surrender at the same time. Because when you surrender to God, the power of God is released in you to bring victory in your life. Does that make sense? So we're going to sing a song. Mercy me. We're going we're gonna to turn the lights out. We're going to put it up here. It's uh, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to sing. And, and at the appropriate time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands in worship. Whether you're a believer or not, I want you to sing at the top of your lungs. And I want you to worship God with hands lifted. Let's stand and let's sing. Who are we? That you would be mindful of us What do you see That's worth looking our way We are free In ways that we never should
Now that's worship. And sometimes we don't get there. And it's not because of the band, it's not because of the preacher. It's because our hearts aren't prepared before we come. It's because we forget the cost of our salvation. Because when you remember, you can't help but worship.